Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, Raider Nation? You know who it is. You know what day of week it is. But I'm going to tell you anyway. Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride. And we've got our Friday show we're recapping the biggest news stories from Raiderland this week, going over the injury report, and answering your mailbag questions. As always, tweet your questions to me at mholder95, or email them to sbppquestions1 at gmail.com, at mholder95, or sbppquestions1 at gmail.com. Lego? We'll start off with Damon Arnett, which unfortunately adds to the bad news and drama that has followed the Raiders over the last month or so. On Monday, the Raiders announced that they are releasing Arnett after a video surfaced on social media of him holding up a gun to a camera and threatening to kill someone. It was later revealed that Arnett was also facing a couple of lawsuits. The first stems from a car accident that happened in October of last year, where on his way to the Raiders facilities, he was in a car accident that caused bodily injuries to the other driver, and allegedly, Arnett fled the scene. Arnett is fighting that case and claims that he made it sure the other driver was okay and left his friends at the scene to handle the exchange of information and everything else that comes with the aftermath of a car accident because he was running late for work. The second lawsuit comes from an incident at the Aria Hotel and Casino where Arnett allegedly berated an employee who said his car couldn't be recovered from valet parking because he lost the receipt. Allegedly, Arnett responded by spitting on the worker and poking him in the chest. Unfortunately, those weren't the only situations that revealed and called some question into Arnett's character. As a rookie, there were a handful of other off-the-field issues with Arnett, one of which being that he crashed four rental cars in roughly a month. I'm not sure if one of those four was the first lawsuit I previously mentioned. General Manager Mike Mayock later admitted that there were concerns about Arnett's character coming out of college and that the team quote-unquote did more research on Arnett than anybody else since Mayock had been there. Mayock spoke to the media about releasing the 2020 number 19 overall pick and expressed his displeasure with Arnett's off-the-field issues, and while I don't have the audio clip with me, I can tell you this was the most angry I've heard Mayock since the whole Antonio Brown debacle. If you're a Raider fan who is frustrated or pissed off with the organization after this news, I don't blame you. For the last few years, Mayock and Gruden defended a lot of the first-round reaches in the draft, Arnett being one of the biggest, as the team placing an emphasis on bringing on high-character guys, yet... Here we are, less than two years after the 2020 draft, and both first-round picks are no longer on the roster due to character issues. In more promising and uplifting roster news, the Raiders signed veteran wide receiver Deshaun Jackson early this week. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that the Rams released Jackson after failing to trade him before the deadline, and the Raiders obviously needed a deep threat. Jackson will turn 35 next month, but he can still take the top off of a defense, something Las Vegas' receiving corps lacked last week in New York. The former Cal Golden Bear only had 8 catches and 1 touchdown in Los Angeles, but had an impressive 27.6 yards per catch. It does feel like this has been in the years in the making as Jackson and the Raiders have flirted just about every offseason the wideout was available, but nothing came to fruition until now. Also, Jackson grew up in Los Angeles, and during his introductory press conference with the team, he talked about how his first NFL game he went to was a Raiders Chiefs game in the LA Coliseum. So... Sunday will come full circle for him as his first game playing for the Silver and Black will be against the Chiefs. Coincidentally, the Rams were the winners of the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes as OBJ agreed to sign with them on Thursday. Even with Jackson inking a new deal, the Raiders brought in four other wide receivers for a workout this week. 
Marquise Lee, a seven-year veteran out of USC, Jalen Strong, a six-year vet from Arizona State, Gary Jennings, who was in his third season out of West Virginia, and Jeff Bidette, a four-year player from Kentucky and Oklahoma. While there were obviously some bigger names involved, Bidette was the best of the bunch as he signed with the Raiders practice squad on Wednesday. Bidette spent his college days at Kentucky for four years and played his fifth and final season at Oklahoma. He would go on to sign with the Minnesota Vikings as an undrafted free agent in 2019, but was cut before the start of the season. The following year, he played for the Dallas Renegades during the XFL's restart before the league ended up folding. The whiteout then bounced back and forth between Washington football team's practice squad and active roster last season and signed with the Falcons in the offseason before being placed on injured reserve and getting released during training camp. Unfortunately though, Bidette landed on the injured list a day after signing, so the Raiders added Gary Jennings to the practice squad Thursday afternoon. Jennings was a fourth round pick of the Seattle Seahawks in 2019, but never appeared in a game before getting waived in November of his rookie season. Jennings would go on to have a stint with the Dolphins for the rest of the season before getting cut in September of 2020. He joined the Ravens and Bills practice squad for about a week each and signed with the Colts in the offseason before landing on injured reserve and reaching an injury settlement during training camp. During the workouts, Las Vegas also brought in former Stanford quarterback Kevin Hogan, who ended up landing with the Titans practice squad. To wrap up our roster transaction news, defensive tackle Darius Phylon was placed on injured reserve after suffering an ankle injury. There hasn't been much word on the severity of Phylon's injury, but it'll be out for at least three weeks. In a corresponding move, the Raiders called Kendall Vickers up from the practice squad. When Carl Nassib became the first active NFL player to come out as gay, he did so with an even bigger message. In addition to his public statement, Nassib donated $100,000 of his own money to the Trevor Project, a non-for-profit organization focused on preventing suicide among LGBTQ youths. Recently, Silver and Black Pride's Bill Williamson spoke with Kevin Wong, VP of Communications for the Trevor Project, to talk about Nassib's impact on the foundation. Wong credited Nassib with not only spreading awareness about the Trevor Project that led to an over 350% increase in their online traffic for the site, but also for encouraging other companies to give generous donations and helping to lead the charge for change within the NFL. The NFL ran a Football is Gay ad this summer in support of the Trevor Project and is continuing to work on initiatives to support the LGBTQ community, all of which are as a result of Nassib's courage. Nassib has also stayed in contact with Wong and the Trevor Project and has expressed interest in getting more involved in their mission. If you'd like to donate to the Trevor Project, visit thetrevorproject.org and click the white and orange donate button in the top right corner. On to the injury report, and as per usual, we'll start with the guys who have not participated in practice this week. Rookie safety Tyreek Gillespie was limited on Wednesday with a hamstring injury, but got downgraded and did not participate on Thursday. Gillespie is primarily and almost exclusively a special teamer this season, so him potentially being out is not something I'd worry about this week. Cornerback Amy Robinson wasn't listed on the report on Wednesday, but was a DNP on Thursday with a hip injury. Robertson was inactive last week and Brandon Faison has taken over as the team's starting second cornerback, so this is another injury that isn't too big of a concern. However, Keyson Nixon left last week's game with an ankle injury and was seen working with the trainers off to the side during practice, but did not participate in any drills, so the Raiders' cornerback depth might take a little bit of a hit this week. Desmond Trufant is the only other corner on the active roster, while Jordan Brown is on the practice squad and another backup option in a pinch. Like Nixon, Nick Wachowski also suffered an ankle injury against the Giants and hasn't practiced all week. Wachowski was also a backup, so the Raiders won't be missing too much, but I would expect recently promoted linebacker Markel Lee to get some extra reps against the Chiefs. The limited guys will be quick since there's only one of them, KJ Wright with a shoulder injury. 
I'd imagine Wright will play, but if he can't, the aforementioned Lee would see more action, but the Raiders do like to play a lot of nickel where Wright comes out of the game anyway. We'll move on and run through the full participants, starting with Jonathan Hankins, who actually missed Wednesday's practice with a back injury, but was a full go yesterday. Josh Jacobs was another FP with a knee, Hunter Renfro was limited on Wednesday, and a full participant on Thursday with an ankle, and finally, Darren Waller had a rest day on Wednesday, but was back in action on Thursday. And that'll do it for the Raiders injury report. The Chiefs are coming into the game pretty banged up as their injury report included 15 players, granted most of them were full participants. However, superstar defensive tackle Chris Jones missed practice on Wednesday and Thursday, and Andy Reid said Jones' absence was for personal reasons, but he also was listed with a back injury. I'd imagine Jones will play, but it's something to monitor over the weekend. Kansas City does have some major injury concerns at right tackle, though. Starter Lucas Niang is expected to miss the game after leaving last week's early with a rib injury, and Mike Remmers didn't play last week and sat out of practice on Wednesday and Thursday with a knee injury. Andrew Wiley stepped in for Niang against the Packers, and Wiley is a natural guard, so Sunday could be a big day for Max Crosby. Alright, time for everyone's favorite part of the show, and by everyone I mean myself, mailbag time! Reminder, tweet your questions at me at mholder95 or email them to sbppquestions1 at gmail.com. First question, with the fluid nature of Kansas City's offense, do we see less Perryman or keep him in if slash when Mahomes runs? I think you'll probably see him about the same. Um, when the Raiders go in nickel, Perryman still stayed on the field. Like I was kind of talking about with the injury report, KJ Wright is usually the guy that comes out or the linebacker that comes out, I should say. And with Kwiatkowski's injury, um, obviously, the Raiders are going to be pretty thin at linebacker as well. And while Perryman's strength isn't in coverage, I definitely don't think he's a liability out there. Now that could change against the Chiefs and change, change in a hurry. So I think they'll leave him out there. I think we'll probably be about what we've seen. And I think the Chiefs are definitely starting to try and run the ball a little bit more, try and uh, get teams out of that two-safety look. So I think Perryman still has some value. And like I said, I don't think he's a complete liability in coverage. Um, last week, he was actually better in coverage than he was against the run, which was the first time all year. But yeah, I, th I think we'll see a good amount of Perryman still. And you know maybe the Raiders start getting into uh, some dime packages and just leave Corey Littleton out there as the lone, lone linebacker since it is the Chiefs and they are a, a kind of that spread air raid offense. I wouldn't expect to see too much difference when it comes to uh, Perryman's playing time this week. I think he'll still play the majority of the snaps and probably still be up there in snap counts when we go look at that at the end of the day. All right, next question. Do you see D-Jax taking 20-plus snaps, even if it's just so the Chiefs have to respect that? Definitely. I think 20 to 25 snaps is probably about the sweet spot for Deshaun Jackson. I think he'll be on a pitch count just because, obviously, this is his first week with the team. Probably doesn't have a full grasp of the playbook, though I know he's a veteran. He probably can pick it up pretty quickly and faster than most guys. But I definitely think they're going to want to ease him into the offense a little bit, at least in week one. Plus, he's not going to quite have that chemistry that you're looking for with Derek Carr, which is something we've talked about, a guy with Brian Edwards, maybe why he's not getting quite as many targets. Um, then again, Carr did speak really highly of Deshaun Jackson this week, saying that he doesn't really have to tell him much, and obviously him being a vet, he should know where to be kind of generally and at least understand the concepts of the playbook. So I think he could get a decent amount of playing time. You know, I could be wrong on that, but I feel like 20 to 25 is a good sweet spot for like what you said, to force the Chiefs to have to honor somebody deep because right now the Raiders don't have anybody on that roster other than Djax. So he's kind of got to be the guy and they are hitting crunch time. So not a whole lot of time to wait around, but I do think 20 to 25 will be that sweet spot. Um, I think all the cameras are going to be on him. We'll probably hear Djax being mentioned at least 20 times, so one per play, but I definitely think he'll get a good amount of playing time but I definitely think it will be monitored. We'll notice him on the field, but um, he won't be an every down player, if that makes sense. 
All right, let's see here. Question number three. This one's a little bit of a longer one. Do you think the current core of the Raiders team is good enough to lay another Super Bowl winning foundation, or do you think we'll see another rebuild? Basically, if you were GM, would you continue to build, or do you think this team, the way it's constructed, can't compete? Well, I'd say it's a little bit of a hard question for me to answer right now because I'd like to see how the season plays out. I think if the Raiders make the playoffs this year, then I think you continue to try and keep everybody in-house as much as you can and continue to try and build and go after that Super Bowl. Try and be that team that makes the playoffs one year, maybe is a first or second round exit. You know, Hopefully they win the Super Bowl, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. But maybe they're that team that makes the playoffs this year and then takes that leap the year after and ends up competing and winning a Super Bowl. But if you don't, if the Rangers don't make the playoffs this year and they kind of suffer those setbacks that they've had over the last few years, then I think you got to legitimately consider blowing it up. And the reason being is the core of their roster right now is built around that 2019 draft class, which is great, but that also means a lot of key guys like Max Crosby, uh, Hunter Renfro, and Trayvon Mullen are going to have contracts expire at the same time. The last thing you want to have those guys do is have to let one of them walk because you can't afford to keep all of them. I don't think you're going to keep all three of them. Hopefully they can keep two out of the three, but one of them for sure is going to walk, and then that's going to dramatically change your one of your, your team and... You might not be a playoff contender anymore. You might not be a Super Bowl contender anymore. And the last thing you want to have happen is one of those guys leaves and you don't get anything back for them or you don't have a plan to replace them. So if the Raiders don't make the playoffs, maybe you end up uh, blowing it up and going through another rebuild, especially since you have Derek Carr, who's also going to be on an expiring contract and is getting up there in age at that point because we're talking about two years from now. So I think a total rebuild's not out of the question. I mean, this would be what your three of the Mayock era, excuse me, you five of the Mayock era at this point. So maybe they even bring in a new GM at that point and who's going to want to bring in their new guys. So I think it's possible that they we could see a rebuild in the offseason. But to me, that would only be if the Raiders don't make the playoffs. And I think maybe if they're, you know, a game out and they're competing in week 18 for the playoffs, you know, that that games mean something for them, to, then maybe you kind of keep the roster constructed. But for me, it's kind of a... It depends on how the Raiders finish the season. If they make the playoffs, I think they'll be good to go, and I think they'll be buyers or whatnot in the offseason and try and acquire as many guys as they can. If they don't, and especially if they're not even close to the playoffs this year, then I think we could see a, a fire sale and them start to trade away players and get some assets from that 2019 draft class. Because, again, a lot of those guys are going to be on their uh, contract year next year, so you're not going to be able to bring all of them back. Might as well start getting something for them and start thinking about towards start thinking about the future. Excuse me. All right, last question here before we wrap up. Malcolm Kuntz. He looked great during the preseason. What's his injury and how much longer will he be out? He should be a great player behind 91 and 98. Well, Kuntz isn't injured. He's just not playing. Um, I didn't think he was that great in the preseason. I thought he was a little bit overdrafted when the Raiders drafted him. Uh, I think I had a sixth or seventh round grade on Kuntz um, coming out of Buffalo. So I don't think, I think the Raiders drafted him with him being a project in mind. Um, so I don't think the plan was to really play him all that much this year, but I do think he's in line to get some more playing time. There was some talk about trading Cleveland Farrell during the trade deadline. Obviously that never happened. And kind of the expectation was that Cleveland Farrell is phasing his way out. And then Malcolm Coons is going to start to get some more reps down the stretch here. Uh, we'll see how that happens. I think, Similar to the last question, I think it's going to depend a little bit on how the rest of the season goes. If the Raiders are competing for a postseason, they're probably not going to want to give a guy like Kuntz more reps just to let him figure it out. They're probably going to want to just start to 
keep to the, stick to the guys that are contributing so that they can win these games. If things start going south, then we'll definitely see more Koontz and a lot more other young guys. But for Koontz right now, I think he's just struggling to make the transition from the MAC to the NFL. He was never very good against the run. He's been a good pass rusher. He had did show some flashes of pass rusher pass rush um, in the preseason, but nothing that I thought they could really rely on this year, which is why he keeps being a healthy scratcher. I think he might have been active for the last game, but but why you're not seeing him play in the field at least. So I think it'll be a year before we really start to see Malcolm Kuntz start to emerge, but we should be able to see him a little bit more as the season goes on, and he'll probably take some reps away from Cleveland Farrell as we move into December. All right, that's it for this week. Make sure you're following myself and Silver and Black Pride on social media, and please rate, review, subscribe, and download wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to check out Tape Don't Lie over what Marcus and BD have been doing. I've been hopping on, filling in for BD this week, so make sure to check that out. And other than that, until next week, guys.